And what's true is that Jesus Christ desires to be born in your hearts in the same way he's been born into the folks who shared their stories' hearts today. That's the invitation today. Oh, okay, uh, like one last warning. I'm giving you one last warning. Do you have the app, Wham City Lights, on your smartphone? If you don't, pull it out. This would be a great time to get that thing loading up. You're going to want to be a part of what's coming. Uh, if you don't have a smartphone, would you just raise your hand, right? Raise your hand if you don't have a smartphone. Cool, really cool deal. Uh, we got you one. Like, Merry Christmas, and I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I, I would if I could, but I, there's, a, there's a lot of you that don't have smartphones. I'm sorry if you don't have a smartphone. The thing's still cool, I promise. I don't know about you, but whenever I dig into the story of Christmas, it really just seems pretty unbelievable, doesn't it? Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, was sent to earth to be born into terrible conditions. And I, I don't think we even really get just how terrible the conditions of Christ's birth really were. Now, full disclosure, uh, you should know that I'm a perfectionist. I like things really, really neat and tidy. I make the bed every single day. Like the moment I get out of it, my feet hit the floor, and I start making the bed whether Dan is still in the bed or not. I don't leave my clothes strewn about. I like things clean. I brush my teeth five or sometimes six times a day. I notice when things around me are not neat and tidy. And I imagine if Joseph was anything like me, that he had to have been more than just a little freaked out when he and Mary ended up in an animal stable for the delivery of their firstborn son, right? I don't know about you dads, but I've been present for three births of our four children, three, three pregnancies, four kids. There's like a twofer in there, you know, you got a set of twins, one pregnancy, two kids. All of our pregnancies, they were pretty much without incident. Jasmine's was the most dicey. Some of you may remember, some of you were there, not like there, there, but back in August of 2005, Journey was just starting in those days. We were having our last of three preview services that we called them over at Bogart Park under the big pavilion there. I'm about to leave our office to head over to the park to get going to start that service. And as, as I'm walking out the office door, my phone rings and it's Dana saying, honey, my, my water broke. Now, I'm only thinking one thing at this point and it's I've got to go preach, right? So I said, oh, oh, cool, that's great, honey. Why don't you meet me at the park? We'll talk about this, we'll have church, and then we'll like make a plan. And she's like, honey, I'm not coming to church. I'm putting the kids in the car and my mom, and we're driving to Billings, and we're going to go have this kid over there. And I'm like, Whoa, okay, so I guess I'll go preach. And I did the longest sermon you've ever heard. It just went on and on and on. I finished, I jumped in my car and exceeded the speed limit all the way to Billings. I made it with one hour to spare. But it was like perfect timing because by the time I got there, the epidural was working really, really nicely. Dana was real relaxed, no like angry fists in my face or anything. You did this to me, none of that. And I show up and cut the cord and it was like, woo, good job, high five, Dana, way to go. Clear sailing. But for Mary and Joseph, it was anything but clear sailing. Right? You set yourself into their shoes and this is their firstborn child and you know how that goes. They were probably planning every little step along the way for how they wanted Jesus' birth to play out. They were probably going to have a home birth at their little place in Nazareth, probably have a friend of theirs come over and help them through the process. It'd be serene and peaceful and 
well, Jesus would be born, right? But that's not how it went. A guy named Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the land, he issues this decree that says every single person in the Roman Empire has to put down what they're doing, go to their ancestral homeland, and complete the census, register for the census. That means Joseph being from Bethlehem, he's forced to travel there. What about Mary? What about the baby? Mary keeps telling him, honey, we're getting close, we're getting close. He realizes, I can't just leave her home while I run off 80 miles to Bethlehem. I gotta, honey, you gotta come with me. You gotta go on this journey. And it makes me wonder, do you think they argued about taking that trip, right? And, th- and then were they really arguing when Mary goes into labor somewhere along the way? And you set yourself into Joseph's shoes and you picture him panicking, don't you? Panicking, like, just imagine Honey, it's just a, just a little further, just a little further. Just hang on, it's just a little further. No, not another bump, it's just a little further. And just in the nick of time, they arrive in Bethlehem. And today, Bethlehem's a really, this is a modern day picture of Bethlehem. It's a pretty busy city. Probably be pretty easy to find hotel accommodations these days in Bethlehem. But 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was born, Bethlehem might have been a community of 1,000 people or so. It was this quite out of the way, off the map, Small, small Israeli village. Nothing of note about Bethlehem in particular. Yet, it's the community where God chose, chose to send his one and only son into this world. And God arranged every single detail. The census, Joseph's background, Joseph's decision to bring Mary, Joseph's character. God was influencing Joseph's character. Remember, Joseph followed the law. He didn't abandon his wife to be, even though her premarital pregnancy would have been the scandalous talk of the town. And you look at all those events and you're like, yeah, a bunch of random events kind of lined up. But no, Jesus arrived at precisely the right time on God's clock. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul writes, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. It wasn't accidental that Jesus was born in a crude stable. The lack of space in the inn was not accidental. Joseph's background wasn't accidental. Caesar's order wasn't accidental. Bethlehem was in no way accidental. God ordered every precise detail for his glorious purposes. And it's almost inexplicable, but not even close to being unbelievable. And we get to the part in the Christmas story when we hear those dreaded words, no vacancy, or there was no room for them in the inn, and we go like, oh, it's so sad, so tragic, poor Mary, poor Joseph, poor Jesus, the Hilton was full, right? We feel badly for them. But you got to know, in those days, there wasn't even a Hilton. There was no nice overnight accommodations for travelers anywhere in the Roman Empire, Most of us, many of us at least in our homes, we have these cute little nativity scenes, you know, and they're all clean and well-swept, and that's how we picture Jesus' birth, right? This nice, warm, wooden barn, pretty, and you could eat off the floor, and so, no. No, not the stable where Jesus was born. It was a cave carved into a hillside, a dark, dank, smelly, in particular a smelly cave because animals lived in that cave. People didn't belong in that stable, let alone Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of humanity, 
king of kings, lord of lords. None, none of us would be contented with that place as the birthplace for our children. And yet, God chose for Jesus to be born there, ordered every precise detail. And that causes lots of questions to flood our minds, doesn't it? How about this question? Did the innkeeper know whom it was he was turning away that night? Did the innkeeper have any idea? Sure, everyone had inundated the small town of Bethlehem because of the census order. Every room and every house was full. But did the innkeeper have any idea whom it was in the belly of the young girl who appeared in a panicked state on his front porch? It's easy, isn't it, to paint the innkeeper in a negative light. We portray him as a guy who didn't realize the significance of what was unfolding right on his front porch. How could you possibly turn away, right? Some of us even say, what a jerk the innkeeper was. Come on. But when you paint the innkeeper in a positive light, he was kind of a hero, actually. Really, really quick to think on his feet. Really, really quick to make do with what he had. And we don't know exactly how it played out. We don't have any idea, really. But isn't it possible that the innkeeper went door to door in his inn and attempted to have other guests give up their rooms for Mary and Joseph and Jesus? Like, look, look at these guys that are about to give birth. Will you get out? And every door slammed, we imagine. Might he have tried to find someone to assist them with this delivery, right? Here's two teenagers. They're teenagers standing in front of him. They don't have a clue how to deliver a kid. What in the world? We got to get some help for you guys. Maybe it was the innkeeper's wife or maybe even his children who said, Daddy, can't we just make room? We got the stable. We got the stable. We'll put them in the... Said, we, we don't know. But what we do know is that that stable where the innkeeper directed the young, confused, panicking couple was really quickly transformed from a cave into the most sacred ground you can imagine. The spot where very heaven and very earth convened. The place where God reached down, put on human skin, choosing to dwell among us. Wow. Wow. It doesn't really matter what light you paint the innkeeper in. You get the sense this guy didn't have any idea that he had just become a significant player in God's plan of redemption for humanity. And we could sit here all night long and speculate about why the innkeeper did what he did, why this happened or that happened, but so much more worthwhile is to consider all that the story of Jesus' birth tells us about God and about us. The first thing Christmas story tells us is that God is a God of love, absolutely. God is a God of love. That crude, stable scene reveals to us the unconditional, supernatural love of God. It's not a love based on being loved back. It's unconditional. Jesus loved all those who wouldn't give up their rooms for him in the end. Jesus loved the innkeeper who didn't realize that th this is Mary and she's carrying the Messiah in her womb. And then you fast forward 30-some years in history from this point, and we know that Jesus even loved the soldiers who nailed him to a cross, murdering him. He even loved them, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Please, Father, forgive them. These guys have no idea. And see, God's love extends to everyone. Not just in the Christmas story, but 
everyone to this very day, even those who may have previously rejected him. Because you see, God hasn't changed in 2,000 years. God loves people who hate him. Did you catch that? God loves people who hate him. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross for us while we were still sinners. While we were at our very, very worst, Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for us, his creation, to clean ourselves up and embrace him. Instead, he initiated the supreme act of love. God is the God of love, and he loves you. We also see from the Christmas story that God is a God of justice. You know that more often than not, this world ridicules the poor. It exalts the rich. And God is the great equalizer. Look at whom Jesus chose to be born among. It wasn't the religious establishment. It wasn't the power centers of Rome. It wasn't Herod's royal family. Jesus, rather, shows up in unexpected ways in very, very unexpected places. A guy named Frederick Beekner writes this in a book called The Hungering Dark. Those who believe in God can never, in a way, be sure of him again. Once they have seen him in a stable, that's seen God, seen Jesus in a stable, They can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go to or what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man, his wild pursuit of you. If the holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, this birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound but that holiness can be present there too. And this means that we are never safe, that there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart because it is just where he seems most helpless that he is most strong and just where we least expect him that he comes most fully. That's God, that's Jesus. And he chose to be born among the poor, the downtrodden, the oppressed. Terrible conditions. And these days, lots of us make excuses for not caring, for not helping, for not being compassionate to the poor and downtrodden in our world. But when we look on the lowly birth of Jesus Christ, it forces us to acknowledge that God cares ever deeply for the poor and the oppressed, all those cast to the margins of society. And to this very day, he's challenging us to do the very same. Our God is a God of justice, and he says, be about justice with me. And can I tell you what bums me out most about the Christmas story? It's that the innkeeper wasn't even close to being ready for Jesus' arrival. The doorway to his heart was lit with a no vacancy sign, which ought to cause all of us to ask ourselves, am I ready? Am I ready for Jesus? Arrival. And you know the irony of this whole holiday season is that it was meant to celebrate Jesus' birth, but so often we miss Jesus' birth. And if you read Luke chapter 1 and 2 in the scripture, I'd invite you to do that tonight or tomorrow. Just take a few minutes and read Luke chapter 1 and 2 in the New Testament. And you see there's a whole bunch of people in Luke 1 and 2 who were absolutely ready When Jesus came, Anna and Simeon, they were ready. The shepherds were ready. The wise men were ready. Mary and Joseph, they were ready. 
Zechariah and Elizabeth were ready. Their hearts were ready. There was vacancy. There was room for Jesus in their hearts. But how about yours? Is there room? Are you ready? And that moment when Mary and Joseph arrived at the doorstep of the inn, begging the innkeeper for a room, it would have been a pretty uncomfortable situation. The innkeeper was faced with a series of really tough choices. He could kick someone out of their room, like, get out of here, more important people coming in here. He could have certainly given up his, he had a room, he could have given it up. Or he could relegate Jesus to the stable. And that's kind of how it goes with Jesus. He has a way, doesn't he, of making all of us uncomfortable. He has a way, doesn't he, of forcing us to rearrange things in our lives, things in our hearts, to make room for him. Do you have room for Jesus this Christmas? What's it say above the door of your heart? Vacancy or no vacancy? Lots of people these days are criticizing the marketplace for carving Jesus out of Christmas. And yet, how many people do the very same thing? We forget him. And we get angry and we get stressed and we get burned out. We're working so hard night and day to ensure that this is the very best Christmas ever. Gifts, all the perfect gifts and all the perfect food and all the perfect festivity, all the joy, all the dashing here and there. And there's Jesus knocking on the door of our heart saying, hey, remember me? This is my deal. This is my day. Can I come in? Is there room for me in all of your celebrating of this Christmas season? Do you have room for Jesus? Do you have room for Jesus? And here's a hint. If you want Jesus to live in your heart, he'll demand, and I know demand is a strong word, lots of people don't like to hear that word, but he'll demand, it's just part of the deal, that you move some other occupants of your heart out. And yes, making room for Jesus in your heart involves those uncomfortable choices, the most uncomfortable of which is this, will I let Jesus call the shots in my life? Will I take myself out of the driver's seat and allow Jesus to take the wheel of my heart and life? Will I take myself off the throne of my heart and set Jesus on the throne of my life? Will you let Jesus call the shots? Now the innkeeper's lack of readiness certainly bums me out. But I also admire him greatly because that innkeeper gave Jesus just what he had, didn't he? which wasn't much, it was a place in the stable. Place in the stable, you might even call it nothing, really. And it's the exact same deal with us. That's how every single one of us comes to Jesus. We don't have anything great, we don't even have anything good to offer him. We've got the hollowed out caves of our lives filled up oftentimes stuffed to overflowing with everything that we've been hoping would make our lives just a little bit better. And I know some people carry things in their hearts and in their lives that they feel are just so big, so overwhelming, so bad, so ugly, so gnarly. that They just say, no, Jesus wouldn't ever, ever, ever want to come into my heart, come into my life. But what's true is that Jesus does. He does want to dwell in your heart 
heart. Jesus does want to be born in you, all of us. And the question is, will you let him? And some people say, I'm not opening the door of my heart until I've got something nice, something better to present to Jesus. And Jesus says, huh, stop, stop right there. Don't do that. You don't have to do that. Jesus says, I love you just the way you are. I love your beauty. I love your mess. I love you. Let me be born in you today. Will you let me be born in you today? John 14, 23 in the Bible, Jesus says this, all who love me will do what I say. And check this out. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. That's Jesus. And he longs to be born into every single one of us, to make his home in you, with you, establishing a permanent relationship with you. All that's necessary is for you to open the door of your heart to him. Will you open the door of your heart to him? I invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would and just move into a posture of reflection on all that we've seen and all that we've heard, what we've been talking about together. You just ponder that with the Lord. Is it vacancy or is it no vacancy over the door of your heart today? And maybe today your heart is ready for Jesus. Maybe for some time now you've had the no vacancy sign lit up and you've told Jesus to stay out on the front porch. You've told him to go out to the barn, go out to the stable and you've left him out in the cold but maybe today you've heard Jesus knocking so why wouldn't you open the door to him today why wouldn't you swing wide the door of your heart and say come in Jesus be born in me today why wouldn't you and if that's you today you can take that bold step of crossing the line of faith trusting him with your whole heart your whole life your whole eternity you can say yes to Jesus by praying with me and I invite you to pray with me if this is you you say Jesus yes I'm swinging wide the door of my heart and yeah I'm quite a mess, Jesus. I'm a sinner, and I need you. I need your salvation. I need your grace. I need your redemption. But here I am, mess and all. And I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I'm trusting you as Savior, as Lord, as boss, as ruler. Here I am. Thank you, Jesus, for being born, and thank you, Jesus, for modeling life your way. 
Thank you, Jesus, especially for dying on the cross for me, for my sin, for humanity's sin, for paying our price. And then, Jesus, thank you for rising. And thank you today that you rule and that you reign. And, Jesus, I'm asking you to rule and reign in my heart. Rule and reign in my life. Come in. Please, Jesus, come in. And if you prayed with me just then, if you're crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ, that is the single biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing, nothing, nothing matters more. And it's such a big deal. Around here, we invite people to tell us when they make that decision. I want you to know every head is bowed, every eye is closed, nobody's looking around this room. It's you, me, and God looking on. If you prayed with me just then to give your heart and life to Christ, would you just be really bold right now and slip your hand up? You can do that right now and just let me say yes with you. Yeah, here, yes, and here, yes, and here, yes. Hold them up, would you please? Make sure I catch your eye and here, and here, and here, and here, yes, sir, absolutely, yes, sir. Hold them up, keep them up, yes, sir, absolutely. Don't be shy, yes, you both of you, and both of you right there too, yes. And over here, yeah, absolutely, way to go, yes, and you, yes. And in the back, both, I see two of you back there, maybe three, yeah, two of you, yes, way to go, I see you. Yeah, way to go, wait, and over here, yeah, absolutely, to my right, and there, and there, and here, both of you, wow, and you too, yes, and there, yes, sir, I see you, and you too, buddy, and you too. Absolutely. And yes, there. Yes. Way to go. Way to go. Jesus is making his home in your heart right now. Absolutely. Everything's new. Everything changes. And Jesus, we celebrate with the angels in heaven these who are coming home to you today. Adopted sons and daughters of yours. We rejoice and we're thrilled, Jesus. We're just thrilled. And we say, Jesus, thank you for being born. You you didn't have to do that. We had messed this world up and messed ourselves up and you could have just looked down and gone, yeah, figure that out, have fun. But your love compelled you. And your love causes you to pursue and pursue and knock and knock and knock. And love and love and love. And we're the grateful recipients of all of that. And that changes us. You change us, Jesus. And I pray that our lives would be marked by a vacancy sign over the door of our hearts every single day. That we just say yes to you when you knock on the door of our heart, when you have a challenge for us, an opportunity, an invitation, that we just say, yeah, I'm in. I'm in, whatever it may be. That we just say, yep, I'm in with you, God. Whatever you ask, I'm there. We rejoice, Jesus, at who you are. 
You are the magnificent, perfect, holy, sovereign God of the universe. And we yield our lives to you moment by moment, day by day. Hear our hearts say yes to you, Jesus. It's in your holy, precious name that we pray all of this and everyone agreed together and said, Amen.